Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And a few headlines I want to share with you because I think it's been an interesting news day. Let's see here what we've got. All right, so the Supreme Court has uh, probed, I don't know who they're probed or how they were probing, but they did this probe and they have failed to identify who the leaker of the Roe document was. Then we've got the Secret Service uh, now claiming that they may have a visitor log that they weren't able to produce beforehand, but it's for Biden's home in Delaware. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit later on. Uh, Speaker McCarthy has ended proxy voting. And this is a, a good thing. This means uh, members are now going to be required to vote from the floor instead of voting from their homes, right? Some of them were on their couches or in their bedrooms or in their home office. And a lot of them made lots and lots of votes that way, especially during COVID. Nancy Pelosi allowed proxy voting to go on for a long time. So that's over. And I think that's a good thing. I always think it's a good thing when you have to show up for work. Uh, I I wish I could uh, show up to a really huge, bustling radio studio every day. Um, It's not an option. uh, But but, uh, it it used to be a thing, right, where there were big radio stations that were very busy with lots of people in them. Uh, Now, so post-COVID, it's kind of skeleton crew wherever you go. Anyway, um, this is an interesting story here. At least 6% of students identify as transgender, and that's at one California school district, according to uh, an analysis of some data. And uh, I'll jump into that a little bit more. But the piece I really want to get into right now uh, before we uh, bring our guests in for the evening is a piece uh, in The Federalist by Tristan Justice. And he's been on this program before. Uh, He does a, a fantastic job. And uh, he, uh, he wrote this piece <clears throat> titled, Masculinity Isn't Toxic, Our Erasure of It Is. And I think this is a pretty uh, interesting comment because there's so many different things that are happening right now, and not the least of which is, I'm not going to say an attack on uh, masculinity, uh, but it seems like it is dissipating, right? The, uh, the John Wayne persona is is not as popular as it once was. And if I'm wrong, you can let me know. I think we still have some, um, I guess we, I don't know. I, who who would be the, the today equivalent of Bruce Willis? I don't know. No, nobody's really coming to mind. I guess The Rock does uh, some pretty, pretty decent uh, action films, but I, I don't know. Uh, but I feel like we're going away from the, the macho man. And I think uh, Tristan Justice agrees with this. Listen to this. So he writes uh, about how uh, conservative journalists recently wrote about one of uh, the uh, singers, Sam Smith, posting photos and and highlighting his attempt to transition into someone who is, quote, non-binary, a person who believes he was born with a third sex or above the sexes altogether. And, of course, this logic defies everything we know about human biology, down to the binary nature of our chromosomes. Yeah, that makes sense. I think we that's basic uh, basic science. Now, he, he continues in the piece. No one seems to know what a woman is these days, but 
they don't bother to remember what a man is. Sam Smith's progression in um, Mr. No's photos underscores the erasure of cultural masculinity declared as toxic by millennials. When you lose sight of it, what it means to be a man, act like a man, and live like a man, you de facto lose the values that form the foundation of healthy masculinity. But our culture doesn't even know what a man is. Around this time last year, my Federalist colleague, John Daniel Davidson, writes um, Mr. Justice, and he says, if we're going to defend manliness as a good and virtuous and necessary thing for a healthy republic, then we need to be clear about what it is and what it is not. And he goes on to write saying, yes, men should be physically strong. They should also exemplify traditional masculine virtues like courage, independence, assertiveness. But why? Not so they can trash talk about how ripped they are or good looking they are or uh, are compared to, to liberals, but so they can protect and defend those who are weak. That is the organizing principle behind the entire concept of manliness. It's not a style or a pose or an adornment. It's a way of being, a way of living according to the principle that you are responsible for the welfare of others and should sacrifice yourself for their sake. What does that mean in practice? It means stepping in to help those in need, whether it's a woman being harassed or a stranger whose car is broken down. It means risking your own safety to protect someone being attacked instead of just filming the attack with your cell phone and posting it online like a beta. It also means marrying and, re and remaining faithful to the same woman your entire life and raising a family with her. It means working whatever hours at whatever job in order prov to provide for that family. It means going to church every Sunday, whether you feel like it or not, to pass your faith on to your kids. It means getting up in the middle of the night to feed a colicky baby. It means taking your two-year-old daughter to swim class and singing all the songs. Uh, <laughs> your own sense of dignity uh, being damned. And that's funny. And, and he goes on uh, from his quote here, and he says, I wish I could write a better definition, but amplifying the stoic virtues of physical strength, mental fortitude, and sacrificial living, driven by a desire to strengthen the weak and protect the vulnerable, that's where we break, and that break is sexuality. And uh, Tristan Justice, uh, from his piece, says he's writing as a gay man. And he knows that he doesn't see eye to eye on, a certain, on some fundamental differences. And he may never live up to this picture of masculinity, of Mr. Davidson's worldview. And he may never have children, but he agrees to disagree like adults. And he says that's where the left has gone mad. And I, I couldn't agree with this anymore, right? I, I agree. A lot of what I just described in, uh, in the quote that Mr. Justice was um, citing in his piece from... Um, let me see how I passed the name. But the other gentleman that he was quoting, um, Dan Daniel, John Daniel Davidson, a, a lot of that is, I think, a very traditional part of life if you're a dad. I know it's a lot of what I went through as a dad and still go through in many ways. And I, I, I respect his opinion when he says he may not live up to that because he has a different way of living, but he doesn't uh, object to it. And, and the left seems to want to erase that. They want to erase the way families operate. They want to destroy the foundation, the cornerstone of American society. And I think that's not cool because, I mean, obviously it's nobody's trying to um, to undermine people here for, for the sake of anything. People are trying to undermine institutions for some sort of political gain. 
And this is where I think things get challenging. So we're going to get into a couple of things straight ahead. We've got some guests lined up. I don't want you to move a muscle because I want to introduce you to our next guest. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, so we're just talking about masculinity, and I think it doesn't get more masculine when uh, you're talking about sports, right? Sports is a a big part of every man's life. A lot of women are into sports, too. Welcome back, by the way. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ if you want to join us. And in talking about masculinity and sports, we've got a conversation uh, that I want to ensue with, uh, that will ensue with, with the um, legendary broadcaster Stephen A. Smith. Now, Smith, you know him from ESPN. Uh, you know him from First Take. You, you've seen him in, in sports commentary for a long time, but, but there's a lot of that story that you don't know. And, you know, it's funny, recently somebody was congratulating me on, on this program, and you guys know this was the Jim Bohannon show, and this was the Larry King show, and now it's my show. And people have been doing a lot of congratulations to me, saying, wow, it's like, you know, it's like you blew up overnight. And I always laugh, I'm thinking, overnight? <laughs> Not really. But, uh, you know, it's an old saying, it says, it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. And, and there was something in, in um, this book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes, that I think really speaks to that in a way that I could never even... Uh, put into words. It's so well written. And um, on that note, uh, I want to bring Stephen A. Smith on the line because I think this is a, a, a remarkable story of rags to riches, the American dream. Welcome. Stephen A. Smith, welcome to the program. Good afternoon. Good evening, sir. How are you? How are you doing? Oh, it's a pleasure, brother. There was uh, some controversy related to a comment that he made on the Sherry Shepard show. And uh, I want you to hear a little bit of that. Check this out. Ladies and gentlemen, she's a lot of things. She's spectacular, actually. Yes. And congratulations on new mamahood. Yes. I said There's but. one thing she's not. Uh-huh. She ain't Beyonce. I know she's not Beyonce, but you know, wait a minute. Hold up. Hold up. Hold on. Steve. The only reason... This got him into a lot of hot water uh, in the media and in the newspapers and on social media, there was a lot going on. Uh, Stephen A. Smith. I love Rihanna. She's fantastic. But I just think that there's only one Beyonce in this world. I didn't know it was a crime uh, to do something like that. What I have to be is equally a fan of, Be- of Rihanna as I am of Beyonce. I think that Beyonce is arguably the greatest ever. I think Rihanna is great, you know, but not greater than Beyonce. That's all. And so you have some people that were saying, hey, you know, that's pitching black on black. Stop it. You know, yeah. the fact of the matter is we're entitled to have a preference. I like Michael Jackson more than I like Prince, but I loved Prince. But I like Michael Jackson more as an entertainer. It didn't take anything away from Prince's greatness. People need to stop. You know, it's interesting. And I, I like Fat Joe more than I like Pun. And Pun is 
fantastic. He's legendary. I just always had yeah. a, you know, was always a fan of Fat Joe. And I, so I get what you're saying. I really do. And, and I think it was, uh, it was unfair. And if I would have said it, nobody would have cared. It's because you said it. <laughs> and that's why that happened. That's how it goes. That's the seat I sit in. It's all right, though. I can take it. That's how it is, brother. So I, I wanted to get to a little bit about, you know, you, you're a kid from Hollis and, and, and you made it big time, very big time in sports broadcasting. But it's really the story, right? It's not so much the journey, uh, the, the, the finality of the journey, but it's the process of the journey. And, and in right. looking at your book, and in particular, I, I want to put some attention on chapter six, page 79, because that was really interesting. Um, I was kind of a turning point in my own life. Um, I had a brother that really encouraged me. But so you go from Hollis, you go to school. Nobody believes in you. Your family's not believing in you. And, and, and you keep going. And how do you, so you go from the college paper to, to the Daily News. Is that how it went? Yeah, I went from the, uh, the, well, not really. I went from college newspaper to the Winston-Salem Journal local newspaper while I was still in college. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, I did an internship at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Came back to the Winston-Salem Journal for another internship, then got a full-time job starting out at $15,300 a year as an editorial assistant at the Greensboro News and Record. And then while I was there, I kept sending my clips to the New York Daily News, my hometown paper, which was in the largest market in the world in the top seven mm -hmm. paper at the time. And the sports editor there, Kevin Whitmer, I would, he was kind enough to accept my clips that I would send to him every week. And then ultimately, when we had a meeting during the Christmas holiday for a couple of minutes, uh, he let me know that he had some freelance opportunities. If I was interested, I, I absolutely jumped at it. Um, it was paying me over $1,000 per article. And when that happened, um, ultimately, I got accepted at a Met Pro internship program, a, collabor a collaboration between the L.A. Times and the New York Newsday. And when I was going to take that job, you know, uh, I was one of 24 uh, can of, of, of folks that they picked out of 2,000 candidates. That's what I was told when they when I was getting ready to leave and enter that program. The Daily News came and hired me as a sports writer. Uh, but they told me the high school sports department was defunct at the time because of a strike that had taken place. And they disbanded the sports department a year earlier, but they were going to restart it that August of 1993. This was April of 1993. And they said, in order for you to stay, we want you to stay full time. But before you start off as a high school sports reporter, we need you here for these four months to cover homicide. And that's <laughs> what I covered. Crime. Look at that. Paying your dues. It was the crime beat. Yes. Wow. And that's what I For did. Everybody, we're on with Stephen A. Smith. Uh, you know him from ESPN, First Take. If you don't know him, you should know him. And you got to get this book, Straight Shooter, A Memoir of Second Chances and First Takes. Uh, now, Stephen A. Smith, the, the uh, one of the parts that really um, uh, jumped out of the book at me was one where you, you write, really eloquently, by the way, about how you were getting left back for the second time in fourth grade. And you, you yes, sat sir. there sobbing. And, and, and you heard, you know, your mom being somewhat encouraging or distraught. And then your dad was just like, checked out. He's like, man, we got to just do what we got to do. Tell us that story. I got left back in the third grade, um, which was very, very embarrassing to me because I was the only kid in the neighborhood who got left back. And, but I went to summer school and mm -hmm. I took my classes and stuff like that and then got promoted to the fourth grade in time that September 
to be in my right grade and then to go through the fourth grade. Then I completed the fourth grade from September through June. This time I got left back again because I still had a first grade reading level. I had a real big problem with reading comprehension. And I got left back for the entire year. You know, so back to back June, I had gotten left back. And I was the only kid in the neighborhood who got left back and the kids were just, you know, vicious, humiliating me and all that. It was very embarrassing. And I deserved it, and I knew I did, in my mind anyway. And so I just went back to the back porch because I was so embarrassed, and I was sobbing, and I was crying because uh, I was incredibly embarrassed. And there was a window that divided the porch and the kitchen. And I heard my Let's mother hang on right talking. there, Stephen A. Smith, because the music means they want to kick me out for a second. But we'll be back in two and a half. Stay right there. We're on the back porch sobbing. He's Stephen A. Smith. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. We're coming straight back to you. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about... How to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. everything i know you very well and i have i listen but i have a lot of people that listen and they love your show and i appreciate it very much america at night with rich valdez all right america welcome back it's rich valdez valdez with an s at rich valdez on all of the social media and our guest is stephen a smith you know him from television he's a, a broadcasting legend when it comes to sports and he's got a brand new book out straight shooter a memoir of second chances and first takes it's a fantastic story we left off with stephen a smith telling us about uh, getting left back in third grade he was incredibly upset he was distraught he's sitting on his back porch he's sobbing stephen a smith welcome back thank you i'm back sir so tell us uh pick you know, it up right where you left off so uh, the same thing happened in the fourth grade, but this time I was held back for the entire year. Mm. And so I'm sitting on the back porch and there's a, the door is closed, but there's a window uh, that's, you know, cracked open and you could hear what's going on in the kitchen. So my mother was in the kitchen with my father, just lamenting the fact that I got left back again and we got to figure out something to do. Stephen, a, Stephen's incredibly sad and, we got to figure this out because he's clearly having trouble. Um, and we got to figure out what to do about it. And my father told her, you know, Janet, just give it up. The boy ain't smart. He's not going to be anything. He just doesn't have it. Just get over it and accept it. And I overheard it. And so um, I was still sobbing. And my mother heard something and comes to the porch. And she saw me just standing there looking into the window. And she was horrified because she knew I had heard what my father said. And, mm. um, you know, but for me, uh, it was just, a, you know, I, it, it made me more determined than ever to prove him wrong, uh, to show him that, you know, I wasn't one to be doubted. 
um, and to do anything that I could to overcome whatever dysfunction was plaguing me, which I would later find out was undiagnosed dyslexia. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's basically it. That's, that's the challenge I had to overcome. And isn't it interesting how that becomes your, your motivation, though, right? And it's like it, it, it may not have been positive reinforcement, but it was negative reinforcement, and it propelled you to do better. I, I find that remarkable. And you also had well, some did. positive reinforcement. Go ahead. Well, it did. It did, A, yeah. because he was my dad, and, you know, it wasn't like I could get rid of my dad. Um, right. And certainly if I have to stare him in the face every day, um, I'm confining myself to a life of misery if I'm just going to, you know, surrender to his belief in me instead of elevating my belief in myself. But then my sister Linda took it upon herself to teach me how to read every day. She would put me through drills and figure out what the hell was going on and why I couldn't comprehend what I was reading and hours of of constant and continuous repetition every single day for about a year and a half to two years. She was on it along with a family friend around the corner whose name was Tiver. And the combination of those two really got, really enabled me to overcome my malady of not being able to comprehend what I was reading. Um, and I've been on a roll ever since. Oh, you meant to that. Folks, we're on with Stephen A. Smith, the author of Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Make sure you pick up a copy for yourself. Buy one to give away as a gift. And Stephen A. Smith, uh, that was the the negative reinforcement. And for me, you know, my, my dad was like that, too. He'd be like, hey, if you don't do this, you get the belt. That was negative reinforcement. <laughs> I listened good. But, but, I, but I also had an older brother, and he, uh, and he also had my back and always told me things. Like He's like, you know, Richie, you're not good at a lot of things, but you're going to make a bunch of money, and you're going to be good at something. <laughs> I was like, I, I hope so. <laughs> and I, when I saw this right. here that you about your brother Basil, I said, man, thank God for big bros, because um, they really come in clutch. Tell us about him. Well, my brother and I had a, a great relationship. Not when we were younger. When he left, when he was 17, um, I was eight. And he graduated from high school at the age of 17, and he left the next day to the army. He wanted out of the house, come hella high water to get away from my father. Mm. And that's what he did. And, but when he came back, he came back a new man. I mean, he was focused. He went after it. What is it? What his dreams were. He was one of those guys that was, a. you know, I, I don't even know if Dale Carnegie had a book out at that time, but my brother epitomized the power of positive thinking. He wouldn't accept nothing less. Um, he, he was always thinking positive and he was always about, shooting for your aspirations and your dreams. And he believed mm-hmm. in me. And uh, about two months before he died, uh, he died when I was uh, just, uh, I just uh, graduated from college. Um, that summer of 92, I graduated in May of 1992. That summer of 1992, in August, we were in Georgetown because uh, he was a traveling salesman. And he saw me in Georgetown and he said, you're going to be, the biggest star in sports media. You're going to be the next Howard Cosell. You just wait and see. People are going to know you. They're going to know your name. He said, and there's going to be no one bigger in sports media. You just wait and see. And he told me that. And then two months later, he passed away in a car accident in, in, in El Paso, Texas. And um, I waited and I promised myself that I would never go to his gravesite. 
until I achieved what he swore I would achieve. And it took me, um, what was it, 11 years. Uh, but by the time March of 2003, I'm sorry, October of 2003 had arrived, um, I was named the general sports columnist for the Philadelphia Inquirer in March of that year. And in October of that year, um, I had got hired by ESPN, which is what Basil Swar would do. And when that happened, that was when I drove to the cemetery in Yonkers, New York, for the first time in 11 years since his, since his passing, to let him know that I had achieved what, I, what, what uh, he swore and vowed I would achieve. Wow. That that's a uh, such a I've got I've got goosebumps I got a tear coming out of my eye really really a moving story um, everybody Stephen A Smith he's the author of Straight Shooter a memoir of second chances and first takes and Stephen A Smith I want to um, I want to get your your take on you, you write about the these highs right these career highs and where things go great but then you write about some lows and 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 how how you make the comeback so i want to dig into that uh but let's take a quick pause and come right back folks stephen a smith is the author the book is straight shooter make sure you get a copy get two give one away as a gift i am rich valdez it's america at night we're coming right back this is america at night with rich valdez Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our phone number 8334-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S and at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our guest is Stephen A. Smith. You know him from ESPN First Take. He's the author of the brand new book, Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. And Stephen A. Smith, we were talking about the highs and lows of your career and how you make these comebacks. And tell us about how you went into one of these lows before you tell us of how, how you made the comeback. In terms of what? What do you mean? Which lows? Which well, one do you looking, want? <laughs> uh, uh, well, I was looking at one where your mom was, was telling you, well, I didn't say they should fire you from CNN, but uh, yeah. I am saying you, you got out of hand. <laughs> they, follow, they, follow, they, they fired me in 2009, um, and I went home to lick my wounds, and my mother let me, left me alone for a couple of days while I was sleeping in my old bunk bed. And then finally, after about two days of being silent and not talking to anybody, not returning any phone calls or doing anything, my mother came and brought me breakfast and with it on a tray. And on that tray was a handheld mirror. And she said, and I asked her, what was this there for? She said, it's there because I'm wondering when you're going to look at yourself. And she told me that, you know, she's not saying that I should get fired or anything like that, but she's seen me in our house talking about bosses, talking about how I felt marginalized and pigeonholed and mistreated, constantly complaining and all of this other stuff. She said, you're not a boss and I know you wouldn't want that per- a person with that kind of attitude around you. Why should the bosses want that? She said, they're not perfect and I understand they may have done you wrong, but you're not perfect and you need to mature and you need to act better because you didn't sound like that's how you were acting when you were in this house. And she said, I would not have wanted you back either. So you need to really, really look at yourself to make sure that you don't make repeat mistakes. And it was a real gut check, and it was something that was hard to absorb. 
but she was my mother. I know I had no choice. Certainly couldn't ignore her. And I certainly right. couldn't come back, come back from it. I had to make amends. Wow. So you, you, you come back with, um, with, with Fox Sports, right? Radio gig. Yes, I did. Um, I got hired in February of 2010. Um, and... I was just doing radio. No one in television wanted me. No one. Not NBC, not CBS, not ABC. Nobody in cable, not even TV1 or BET. Nobody wanted me. And so I was fortunate enough to get a job doing morning drive on Fox Sports Radio. And I would get up 3.30 in the morning to leave by a quarter to four and drive 87 miles one way from South Jersey, New Jersey to New York City to do my radio show, and then I would drive back, uh, falling asleep, pulling over at rest stops, taking naps and stuff like that just so I could make it home. That's how exhausted I was. So those were the things that I was going through, and it was a real struggle. Um, but ultimately, in uh, uh, January or February, rather, of 2011, ESPN came calling back because I was told when I left New York radio, 62% um, of the audience left with me. When I returned... 62% of the audience returned. Wow. And um, so they brought me back to ESPN radio, but they prohibited me from returning to television. I was not allowed on television. Now, whose arm did you twist? I didn't twist anybody's arm. What happened is that um, they brought me back. I had two shows. One was a two-hour radio show in New York. Immediately mm -hmm. following that, it was a two-hour show in L.A., radio show in LA. So it was four hours of radio in the two largest markets in the United States of America. And usually people in those positions are getting paid anywhere from four to $600,000 a year minimum. I made $400,000 for both shows combined. And I was restricted from being on television. And then Skip Bayless convinced the boss at the time, Jamie Horowitz, who was running first take, uh, to give me a chance to come on the air with him on a weekly basis, see how it goes. I did it for a month. Jamie absolutely loved us together. They did their focus group studies and stuff like that. People were clamoring for me to be back on. And then Jamie Horowitz went upstairs and fought for me to be back on television. But that was after Dave Roberts, um, an African-American executive, uh, who now is an executive VP at ESPN, Dave Roberts had fought for me to come back into the family because he was overseeing ESPN radio in New York at the time. Uh, so he fought for me to come back to ESPN period. And then, you know, uh, a little while later, close to a year later, Jamie Horowitz fought for me uh, to come on, back on television. What a story. And one of the things I'm reading here, it says that you, you, you fought a little bit harder this time around because early on you were successful, you were doing your thing. Uh, but, you know, you were living it up. And this time around, you had a little girl and another one on the way. Yes, I was always a hard worker. I never slacked off. That's just not my nature. I was my mother's child and I always worked like crazy. But what I did was, you know, just um, I thought I had it made. You know, I had my own television show at one point. I was very, very popular because people were screaming my name in the streets. And I thought that that was the popularity that counted not paying attention to ratings and revenue. I didn't know the business. I didn't master my business. And right. so that was the first go round. But once I had lost everything, 
um, and I got back in the radio at Fox Sports Radio, there was a guy by the name of Mr. Mike McVeigh, who's the former president of Cumulus Radio. Mm-hmm. And he literally tutored me, gave me private tutoring lessons on how to do radio and taught me the business of radio. So when I ultimately got back to ESPN, I was armed and dangerous because I was aware of every mistake that I had made because Mike, people like Mike McVeigh and a few others helped me understand and comprehend the business even better and showed me where I was making mistakes and errors in my judgment. And so when I did that and I came back, I was deadly uh, because I knew I had two daughters to raise. And as a black man who grew up poor, my nightmare was to not be able to provide for my family. That was the thing that I simply could not tolerate. If there's one thing that I can depict for myself that's pretty close to death, it's not being able to handle my responsibilities. And so I just put my head down and I was continue. I was committed to working all day, every day, no matter what it takes, just to make sure that my my daughters would have food on their plate, a roof over their head, and clothes on their back. Outstanding. Uh, Stephen A. Smith, um, we're going to leave it here, but I want you to let everybody know about the podcast. You've got a podcast as well. Let us know a little bit about it. My podcast is entitled No Mercy, K-N-O-W Mercy. It's three days a week at minimum, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at minimum. Uh, It is not a sports podcast. Uh, It is owned and operated by me. I own it and operate it. I'm in complete control of content, of content. It's separate and apart from ESPN. I touch on politics. I touch on pop culture. I do interviews. I touch on sports. I touch on it all, depending on what's percolating, what's going on and what I want to touch on. And it was very, very important to me to do because I wanted to branch out. I love doing sports. I never want to leave sports. Um, I, I love what I do. I just don't want to be limited by it. And that's why I didn't want to do a sports podcast. I wanted to do something different to expand my horizons. And that's exactly what I'm doing with No Mercy. So anywhere you can find your podcast uh, for free, you can find my podcast, No Mercy, uh, anywhere that you're looking for it. It's everywhere you can find a podcast, No Mercy. All right, Stephen A. Smith, you left it all on the field with No Mercy. I love it. And uh, we got to have you back to talk about culture, politics, whatever, everything about sports, uh, because I've checked out a couple of clips and you've got some really good stuff. And I've heard your conversations with um, Mark Levin, and I know that those are really good, too. So I'm looking forward to having some of those conversations with you as well. Stephen A. Smith, he's the the author of Straight. By the way, way, I'll be on on Life, Liberty and Levin this Sunday night. There you go. Check them out with, with the great one. All right. Straight Shooters, the book, a memoir of second chances and first takes. Stephen A. Smith, it was a pleasure, my brother. Thank you so much. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, by the way. And um, great conversation there with Stephen A. Smith. Uh, Once we got into it, I I think uh, it's a remarkable story, and I really do urge you to get the book. I I, uh, 
spent some good time looking at the book and uh, going through several of the chapters. Haven't read the entire book, but very riveting. Now, I want to get into something here. And what I want to get into is, let's see here, where are we? It's the the story with, hang on, don't go anywhere. Here it is. Big tech, right? Big, this Twitter files, the um, the censorship. There's so much that's happened here. And I feel like it, it's gone unnoticed in many ways. Uh, some people hear it. I mean, if you listen to radio, you're a radio junkie. You're like, oh, man, yeah, yeah, I totally know what you're talking about. But if you're not a radio junkie and you don't know uh, exactly what I'm talking about, or, you know, if you go to work and you're like, oh, can you believe that Twitter files? And they look at you and they go, what? Is that is that the Cowboys? <laughs> uh, what do you talk about the Twitter files? Uh, most people, I think, don't care because they're trying to make a living. They're trying to live their lives. They're trying to make sure that they don't get in trouble with their wife or vice versa. And, and people are just trying to pay bills and take care of their children. Uh, but it's important for us to stay up to speed on what's going on with big tech. So straight ahead, we're going to have a conversation on big tech because I think that it's important to talk about the, the type of power that these technology companies have. And uh, there's a new book out that I want to talk about with respect to big tech. And, of course, in the third hour, we're going to have our, as per usual, open phones across America where you have a chance to call in and share your thoughts. And, and it's really one of my favorite times. I love doing the interviews. I really do. I love the conversation. But I love um, getting everybody's hot takes and quick takes on everything because it's just very exciting to me. Anyway, 833-4-VALDEZ is the number if you want to join us a little bit later or at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Let me know what you thought of that interview with Stephen A. Smith. More to come straight ahead. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S on the social media. This is America at Night. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, today was the day, right, the, the big debt ceiling day. Biden's trying to get some stuff done. He's trying to avoid Congress. There's a lot going on. I want to get with Congressman Ken Buck to talk about that, and I want to talk about his brand-new book, um, crushed big tech's war on free speech. Congressman Ken Buck, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you. It's good to be with you, Rich. Yes, sir. So uh, let's start off with this. What is going on with the debt ceiling? Well, it, it is an opportunity for uh, Republicans to try to uh, get spending uh, control, spending caps on uh, the wild and crazy and out of control uh, spending that's going on. And so I think the uh, the opportunity to do that is uh, going to result in negotiations, and hopefully we are, are able to come to an agreement before the uh, May-June time frame when uh, the government actually does have a, 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 a situation where um, you know people will start talking about an actual default. I, I don't think it will happen, but that's the that's the time frame. 
Yeah, and that's always the case. There's always a lot of hype going into these things, and then there's usually a, a meeting of the minds, and and they raise the debt ceiling. <laughs> but um, I know that there was a meeting with Biden, and he, he kicked people out of the meeting for about 10 minutes. And um, what do you know about that? Do you know anything about that? I do not. No, I wasn't in the meeting. I wasn't kicked out. I, although if I had been in the meeting, I'm sure I would have been kicked out. <laughs> Probably would have been kicked out. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, we will continue to monitor this and, and keep everybody up to speed on what's going on with the, the debt limit uh, and the looming deadlines. But, Congressman, I want to talk about your book, right? Crushed, Big Tech's War on Free Speech. And I think we um, we try to spend a good amount of time talking about this on the radio, but I realize that you know, I live in a bubble and so do you, right? You live in the bubble uh, where, where the swamp is and I live in the bubble where the media is. And and I realize that when I go to the store to buy milk or eggs or whatever, those people don't listen to talk radio all day, every day. And they're not up to speed on things like you are because they're not working in Washington. And I feel like so many people don't understand the severity of how big tech has kind of succumbed to the iron fist of government. Do you agree? I agree, and, and I, I have to tell you, uh, the the threat that big tech poses is, uh, is just prevalent in so many areas. We've got teenage girls who are being body shamed on Instagram and suffering from depression. We have higher uh, suicide rates among teenage girls as a result. We've got, uh, you know, companies, competitors that uh, advertise their products on Amazon, and then Amazon replicates the product, and uh, Amazon then pushes the competitor down to page three and they list their new product up on, on page one. And so there, there's so many areas in the uh, marketplace, commercial marketplace, as well as the marketplace of ideas where these uh, tech giants are suppressing uh, speech and, and crushing innovation. Yeah. And, you know, you just mentioned something that is really Really relevant. I mean, A, I'm the dad of two daughters. I'm, I'm the happiest, go luckiest guy there is until you mess around with my kids. And then it's like, you know, all hell just broke loose. And I'm looking at literally a friend of mine just sent me a text with a ABC News. Listen to this. Long Island family sues Meta for harming their daughter through Instagram use. And we, we've seen a bunch of these lawsuits, but they're still happening. This one just happened today in New York, in Long Island. And a family from Long Island suing Facebook for hurting their kid. Uh, through the use of Instagram and algorithms that I believe led her to um, have a um, a eating disorder. And uh, it started with the use of Webkins. And it just, it went on and on. But th- my point here is, y- you're right. There's a problem here. People are actually being physically harmed. People are going through serious ailments. And, and it seems like nobody's held accountable for anything. And I don't know that I want to sue Facebook every time something happens, but I think we have to... I guess, throw down the gauntlet and say, look, here's what's going on and here's what you can do and here's what you can't do because this is going a little bit too far. And I don't want to be some sort of authoritarian, totalitarian crazy telling big tech what they can do, but I also don't want them to become the um, the uh, electronic arm of the government either. Right, and, and, and so we see the dangers to uh, uh, you know, vulnerable populations uh, in our country. Um, but we also see that big tech is is manipulating information in a way that affects elections. We saw what they did with the Hunter Biden laptop story uh, right before the 2020 election. We, we see uh, consistent um, and, and, and Elon Musk is revealing in, in these Twitter files a lot of information about what Twitter did. But it was happening at Apple and Amazon, Facebook and Google also 
where they have uh, decided that they know what the truth is and they know what's best for Americans, and they're only going to feed information that is consistent with their worldview. That's not how we operate. It's not how we operate on radio or or cable news or newspaper. And and it's very dangerous in a democracy to have a group of people think that they can decide what's safe for people to read and and make sure that the outcomes are consistent with their worldview. Yeah, 100%. And this comes at a time where I think we're at day four of these whack jobs in their clown show they call the World Economic Forum. And, And again, I ridicule them because I think what they do is crazy. But, you know, lamentably, as each year goes by, they, they seem to be catching more steam and, and more people actually buy into this. More governments are signing up to the idea that they should be the arbiters of of truth and, and what we know and what we don't know and who manage misinformation. And it's, it's a really scary concept, Congressman. It is scary, um, and I agree with you. Uh, more and more people are getting comfortable with it, and that's what really concerns me. In, in America, we've never been comfortable with government telling us what we can and can't read and what we can and can't think. And yet we're allowing big tech to do exactly that. And the uh, government, certainly uh, the the Biden administration, when it came to vaccines and and masks and other issues, uh, has tried to manipulate information uh, to to support their theories. And uh, the result is is dangerous. And and the result is going to be even greater if we don't start fighting back at this point. All right, folks, we're on with Congressman Ken Buck. He's the author of Crushed. Big Tech's War on Free Speech. We're going to continue this conversation in a moment. I am Rich Valdez. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-V-A-L-D-E-S. That's Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. Give us a call. We're on with Congressman Ken Buck. And, um, Congressman, I want you to hear this audio clip of Asma Khalid. She's from NPR at the White House today. Listen to this. I mean, I think that there's a frustration, I can say, generally speaking. I hope I'm not overgeneralizing amongst many reporters because there has been, I think— a sense that there was that the White House has not been as forthcoming as journalists would like with the information and the timeline. I mean, the first batch of documents were discovered shortly after the midterms. That was not disclosed until CBS broke the story. So we we have uh, this this big story of the president of the United States and classified documents. And I guess if you're, uh, you know, an active Twitter user, you might see a little bit of it. But to me, it seems like big tech is still up to their their old tricks of kind of suppressing these types of stories, because I don't see this story getting uh, it has some legs, but I don't see it getting the legs that I think it should have kind of like the Mar-a-Lago raid. What do you think? Oh, I agree. Um, the the double standard uh, at the Department of Justice is, is evident in how they treat uh, President Biden differently than, than President Trump. And the double standard in the media is also evident. The the idea that the president of the United States had documents in a garage um, since the time he was vice president, uh, classified documents in a garage since he was uh, vice president um, for for years. And uh, his uh, son uh, lived at that home. We know his son had associations with 
uh, Ukrainian oligarchs, uh, unsavory characters. We know he had associations with uh, the Chinese communist banks. Um, and uh, some of these documents may have been very sensitive to either of those groups. And uh, that, that not getting more play and not being amplified by big tech is, is scary. What do you think about the association he had with Joe Biden paying this exorbitant rent in that place? Yeah, I don't, I, you know, obviously he wasn't paying rent. I, I don't know. Um, my, my kids know better than to try to live in my basement, but uh, they, they certainly <laughs> wouldn't be paying me, uh, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of, of rent if they, uh, if they were living in my basement. And, and the fact that uh, uh, Hunter Biden was taking huge sums of money from different groups that uh, Joe Biden was introducing him to and then paying the, this large rent. Um, it, it looks very suspicious and, and uh, should be investigated. Yeah, and I agree. And again, I think you, you, you do a Google on this and you barely find any stories. You maybe get a little bit from DuckDuckGo and it, it just goes back to what you're talking about in your book, Crushed, Big Tech's War on Free Speech. It seems like free speech and a free press uh, and again, the, the free press has their own issues, but even the ones that are attempting to be a free press, they seem to get suppressed because of big tech. W- what do you do as a congressman, as as part of the new majority? How, what can the American people look forward to and hope for and expect that can be done to curtail some of this? Well, I think there's two really uh, uh, clear avenues, um, and I talk about them in the, the last two chapters of, of my book. Uh, the first is the American public needs to take some responsibility here. They need to understand the, the threat to our speech rights, the threat to our commerce uh, that these monopolies are, are really causing. And um, if at all possible, you don't need next day delivery. You can get your uh, uh, toilet paper at the supermarket or you can go to, uh, you know, buy it three days in advance. Um, you, you don't need... Uh, to to uh, search on a search engine that suppresses uh, conservative thought. We know that Google in June of 2020 changed their algorithm to benefit Joe Biden and to disadvantage uh, Donald Trump. And, and by doing that affected the outcome of, of the election. Um, those are the kinds of things that, that people can just take uh, into account. Uh, for example, uh, Rich, you know, the, if you are using any of these GPS devices on your phone, these companies are tracking you. They know everywhere you've been, and they're selling that information about your location and, mm-hmm. and your your buying habits. Um, you can just disable those tracking devices uh, and and make it more difficult for these companies to to surveil you. Uh, so so there's there's things that we can do personally, but then on the other side, there's legislation that we have in Congress. That will create competition. It doesn't break up companies, but it makes sure that there's a level playing field so that those new startup companies, of which these, by the way, were at one point in time, most of these companies were started in the garage, um, new startup companies can compete and can, can give us consumers more choice. And a free market is, is true liberty, in my opinion. That's when you really have options and you're able to be free and do what you got to do. Uh, the book is Crushed Big Tech's War on Free Speech. So we talked about the potential remedy. Um, what do you actually envision, though? What, you know, if you had to handicap this, what do you say happens you know, moving forward? Um, will the new majority um, 
make an impact with with hearings? Do you think things tighten up? Do you think the next elections that come around, uh, should there be another bombshell story like uh, the Hunter Biden laptop, which implicated the sitting president? Um, do you think that's going to continue to get suppressed and we're going to see that level of suppression like locking the account of the New York Post? Or do you think uh, we're beyond that and we're headed towards a better place? Well, certainly I think Twitter is headed towards a better place. And I think Elon Musk is not going to make the mistakes uh, that were made by of course. Uh, the past leadership at, at, at Twitter. I do think that uh, we've got a long ways to go with, with Facebook and uh, Amazon and uh, Apple and Google. I think that the um, answer will come in a variety of, of ways, really. The, the the American public is is waking up. They felt for a long time that something creepy was going on. Now they're getting that information that confirms exactly what was going on. The courts, uh, there are a number of cases in the courts that are looking at what's going on. And I think also the courts are sort of uh, uh, understanding that the uh, the, the standards, the legal standards that have applied to the old economy don't necessarily apply to the e-commerce and social media economies that we have now. And so I think the courts are going to start to shift in how they look at antitrust law and, and create competition. And then I think the, uh, the uh, in, in regulatory agencies, the enforcement agencies, the uh, Federal Trade Commission and the Antitrust Division of the Department of Justice will be more aggressive in, in how they enforce the law. So I think there is a wide variety of uh, uh, efforts right now that are being made that will have an impact before the next election. And I want to know your your take, and I know you're you're not down at the border, but the border remains a crisis. You've got Mayorkas saying, oh, it's not a crisis. Okay, it's a crisis. Oh, but it's not a crisis. Oh, but we're adding agents. Do you see this impeachment going somewhere quickly? Do you think that's going to make the impact that it needs to make to to shake things up? How do you see things unfolding? Impeachment of Mayorkas or Biden? I would say both, but I meant Mayorkas. (laughs) That was wishful thinking. Freudian slip. Excuse me. No, I think that uh, I don't know whether Mayorkas um, is impeached. I don't know whether he resigns. I don't know whether uh, Biden fires him. I know there has to be a change uh, in that position. Uh, what's happening at the border is is self-inflicted. We had good policies in place under President Trump, remain in Mexico, um, building a wall, other policies that were slowing the, the flow of legal immigrants into this country. He uh, changed those policies. He knew that the impact would be this uh, mass wave uh, of illegal immigration. Um, he's responsible for it. Uh, and, and now um, we've got to do something. Um, and, and really, uh, it, it may be changing presidents uh, in, in two years, but we've got to do something. All right, Congressman Ken Buck. Now, let everybody know um, where they can get the book. Um, well, uh, I, I don't endorse uh, booksellers, but uh, it is available at bookstores across the country. It's available online um, in a variety of ways. Since uh, Amazon's one of the companies that I'm uh, talking about as a monopoly, I'm not encouraging people to, to choose one uh, online bookstore or another, but uh, it is available uh, throughout uh, the country in, in uh, both online and in stores. All right. And if... Um... The listeners want to purchase a copy from wherever they want to get it from. Um, where would they go? Is, is there like an additional website or is it just to the booksellers? 
Yeah, it's just the booksellers that, that have it. Right. Okay. And if they want to follow your work, where should they uh, follow you? Well, I am uh, at Rep. Ken Buck um, in uh, Congress, and uh, Buck for Colorado uh, is my campaign website, and we put information up um, every week about uh, the the bills that we're working on and, and the votes that we're taking. All right. Fantastic. Congressman, I want to thank you for joining us and talking about Crushed Big Tech's War on Free Speech. Looks like an outstanding book. I wish you the best of luck with it, and I hope you'll come back soon. Thanks very much, Richard. It's great to be with you. You got it. Have a good night. God bless. Now, straight ahead, folks, we're going to get into the uh, the latest uh, musings on Joe Biden. So don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night, and we're coming right back. Don't move a muscle. Classified spillage happens almost literally every day, and most of the time it's completely accidental. An employee accidentally takes home a classified document in a briefcase. In one example that we were told, the employee found a classified document that had been accidentally attached to an unclassified travel itinerary. He slept with it under his pillow for a night, returned it the next day, and that was that. Most of these cases are dealt with administratively, internally, with a simple conversation with the security officer at the agency in question. Now, of course, in more severe cases, there can be penalties such as losing your security clearance or even being fired. But part of the reason this is so common, Caitlin, is simply the law of large numbers. There are over 4 million security clearance holders floating around out there. And some national security officials will also acknowledge that the U.S. government has a pretty big problem with overclassification. There are just millions and millions and millions of pieces of classified information, not all of which are exquisite. (laughs) Okay, so the problem isn't Joe Biden messing things up. No, the problem is that we classify too many things. Oh, that's exactly what it is. Welcome back, America. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to jump into this because this is a fascinating topic. And uh, I I find myself at at odds here with with what to say about it because it really, it's amazing how they rated Trump, but yet, they're saying, well, it seems like there was a problem with the way they packed his things. It's, it's, there's a problem with overclassifying documents. That's the real problem here because, you know, people make mistakes. And it's just such a double standard. And here to help us make sense of it is David Marcus. You've seen his columns in the Daily Mail. You've also seen his book, Charade, The COVID Lines That Crushed the Nation. David Marcus, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. You bet. So tell us a little bit about um, your your thoughts on... What's going on with um, President uh, Biden's little scandal here? Because, 
you wrote a really interesting comment, and I'm just going to read a uh, column, and I'm going to read the uh, headline, and it says, Wipe that self-satisfied, disdainful, arrogant grin off your face, Mr. President. America wants answers, not your infuriatingly smug denial of, nas- of a national scandal. And I thought, well, at least you didn't pull any punches with that one, David Marcus. Yeah, you know, I was, I was trying to be nice. I, no, I, look, listen, <laughs> here's, here's my thoughts. Here's my thoughts. My thoughts are the president needs to start answering questions about this or he needs to think about stepping down because the, the biggest lie surrounding this whole thing just at the moment is when his press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, stands up at, at the podium at the White House in the briefing room and says, well, we can't talk about this. There's an ongoing review. So, I mean, we can't answer any questions. So what? There's an ongoing review. He's the president of the United States. I've got questions. I'm sure you do as well. Here's my first question. He says that his attorneys advised him not to ask what these documents are. Who's in a better position than, than Joe Biden to know why those documents might be in his garage next to his car right. if he knew what they were? And he's not curious. Why is he not curious? If he didn't bring them there, somebody did. Does that person still work for him? Is, is, is that person part of the administration? Does anybody know? No. And, and, and apparently, you know, as I said, Joe Biden just smirks. He said, oh, nobody should ask me any questions. You know, I'm the big guy. No, this, this is not how it works in the United States of America. We need answers. A hundred percent. And I think we've become so accustomed to accepting that response, whether it's from Joe Biden, from Nancy Pelosi, from Hillary Clinton. They've all used the same kind of smug, ah, too bad, tough noogies type of approach. And the media's always given them a pass on it. And I think this is where we really go um, awry here because bad, bad, uh, bad situation for America where we don't know what's going on. We don't know if this was done for like, hey, I'm going to leave that over there. And if you guys need to take a look at it, go right ahead. Or if it was just, hey, I'm, I'm just not that smart and I make lots of mistakes. It, it's so questionable that, I mean, I have so many questions. And I, I, I always, I guess I, I'm wired to say I don't want to think the worst right away. But I'm really starting to think this is probably a situation of the worst is probably the actual scenario. And I'd hate to think that, David Marcus. Well, but you're you're left with no choice, right? right? Because this isn't this isn't a, this isn't a car crash scenario for the White House, right? Maybe it is for the, the 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 press shop at the White House, who apparently have been left in the dark about all of this. I mean, when Jean Pierre said she didn't know anything about this until the media broke the story. That's crazy. The, the White House has known about this. The, the first set of documents in D.C. on November 2nd. On December 20th, they discovered the second tranche of documents in Delaware. Apparently, nobody told the press secretary who was sent out to lie unknowingly, which right. I, I mean, what, honestly, what do they call it plausible deniability. Does. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how she doesn't resign right. and say, look, you guys can't do this to me. Like, you can't send me out without the accurate information and have me lie to these people, they, they won't believe me anymore. And, and, and why should we believe them anymore? Joe Biden lied. He came out, not this past Tuesday, the Tuesday before, right? When the, the, the first, he was in Mexico, first time this was addressed. 
he came out and he said, yeah, they found some documents in my DC office. I have no idea how this happened as if this was a one-off as, as if this was some kind of like, you know, bizarre accident. Who can say he knew unless they were, unless they weren't telling him either, he knew that there were documents in Delaware. Just lied. Just lied, Rich. I, yeah. I don't know what to do with that. Right. It's hard to reconcile that the president of the United States just either plays dumb or just omits the truth and uh, lies to the American people. Folks, we're on with David Marcus. You've seen his columns in the Daily Mail, and we're going to continue uh, discussing these. He's with us until the uh, top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. If you have a call, feel free to call us, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of these social media. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. This is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I am Rich Valdez, and uh, we're on with David Marcus. Uh, You've seen his columns in the UK Daily Mail. Uh, I want to go to John in Vero Beach. has a uh, question for David Marcus. John, you're on 105.7. Welcome, sir. Yes, it's a pleasure to be able to converse with you and, and Mr. Marcus. Uh, you have a wonderful show. Thank you. I'm a retired disabled veteran uh, living in Vero Beach, Florida. Well, thanks and, for your uh, service, sir. I'm really happy. To... Oh, you're more than welcome. As long as we're still free. Uh, Amen. I have a real problem with this, this whole scenario. And my major problem is, could those documents have been left in that garage, which is a very unsuspecting place to find documents like that, uh, next to a classic vehicle, uh, so that a foreign, foreign adversary could have an agent uh, to uh, easy access to them for review? Yeah, so you're saying, I'll put these things here, it's unsecure, I'll rent the place for way more than it's worth, and maybe somebody may want to come and look at these things. David Marcus, what do you think about that? It's it's an absolutely uh, fair question, and I I also yeah, thank the caller for his service. But I, yeah, I, I mean you know today Fox News released photos of Hunter Biden driving that car, presumably you know out of the garage. Um, yeah, I, I mean look, I, I put it pretty bluntly in, in a piece that I wrote this week. I think that this was the one the Spectator I've written a lot of pieces about this this week, but. Look, it, it, it's hard to, to take. It's hard to keep track of that many crack dealers, right? <laughs> it, it, and, and and that's not a that's not a nice thing to say about the president of the United States, but it's true. So yeah, I mean these documents, whatever they are, right? And we still don't know what they are. Why? Why don't we know what they are? Why don't we have you know a gist of this? Just to say, oh well, you know, because. The original thought was, original reporting was maybe he had these to work on his book. Okay. Still bad, still illegal, but that's an explanation. Can Joe Biden tell us, like, did you have classified documents that you used to work on your book? 
And if you can't tell us that, why not? And so, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look sideways at at, at someone suggesting that there's something nefarious going on, because the president of the United States won't just tell the truth about it, whatever the truth is. And there's an expectation that if you're president of the United States and all, that you should probably know how things work, right? I mean, I worked in government, and there was a million rules on everything, on just sensitive documents. There was no clearance. You know, it was a state government that I worked for, and the rules were incredible. So I know if I went through training and I wasn't allowed to accept a cup of coffee that I knew cost more than $5— uh, I'm pretty sure Joe Biden's also gone through the ethics training and said, hey, you can't do this. You can't do that. You know, I mean, you can't even work in corporate America without going through 18 different trainings about phishing scams. So the, the idea that the president doesn't know, just uh, it doesn't fly for me. He doesn't care. He's above it. Right. I mean, that, that that was really the hook on this piece about, like, the way he treats the press. Now, yes, D- Donald Trump mm-hmm. would say, you know, the, the news media is the enemy of the American people, right? He was talking about the industry writ large. And not for nothing, there's no institution in the United States that Americans trust less than right. the news media. Polls show this time and time again. I'm talking like 70% of Americans don't trust the news media. So, I mean, that's what Trump was talking about. When Biden throws these little hissy fits at Peter Ducey, it's not, it's not about an institution. It's about, I'm Joe Biden, and you don't get to ask me that, little man. Right. <laughs> I do whatever I want. That's, that's, that's what it is. Exactly. A hundred percent. I think you're spot on with that. Now, David Marcus, um, straight ahead, I, w- I want to get to um, your thoughts on why why they went to the White House counsel and said, hey, look, we found these documents. We think the president may want to look at them. Instead of going to the FBI or the DOJ and saying, hey, look, let's get a search warrant. Let's raid this place like you did to Trump at Mar-a-Lago. It was such a double standard, and it was ridiculous in my opinion. And you've got a pretty good piece that I saw earlier uh, on this. Uh, where was the Trump-like raid, the embarrassing crime scene photos? Where are Joe's? Lo- why are Joe's lawyers doing the digging, not the FBI? This all stinks to high heaven, but don't expect our liberal media to notice. I want to get into that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere, David Marcus. Uh, and our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ. You want to join the conversation, give us a call. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, we're on with David Marcus. Uh, He's the author of Charade, The COVID Lies That Crushed a Nation, and he's got a column in the Daily Mail UK, and I read you the title earlier. It's Where Was the Trump-Like Raid? The embarrassing crime scene photos. Where are Joe's? Why are Joe's lawyers doing the digging, not the FBI? This all stinks to high heaven, but don't expect our liberal media to notice. David Marcus, you nailed it again with that uh, with that title, because that's exactly what's going on. What's your take? Well, first of all, you know, in, in, insider secret. My editors write the headlines, so I, I can't, I can't, <laughs> can't take credit for those. For pretty good one, right? 
Yeah, um, they're great. They make yeah. me laugh. <laughs> yeah, no, they're good. <laughs> they're great. I used to work for the New York Post. They're the kings of it. Um, oh, yeah. No, listen, um, I, 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 I want to caveat this by saying this is not the headline story. The headline story is uh, that Joe Biden has, has all but admitted that he broke the law. And, and that's really where and Andy won't talk about it. That's where our focus should be. Right. So I don't want to get lost in this. But yes, I mean, absolutely. Um, When you look at the fact that the FBI did a a Hollywood style raid of Mar-a-Lago, right, with with, with cameras and sirens and, and, you know, the the full works. Right. Yeah. This is Cecil B. DeMille Um, for essentially the same thing where they say to Joe Biden, Oh, don't worry about it, Joe. Look, why don't you have your own lawyers go poke around a little bit? You know, if you find something, let us know. It's all fine. I, you know, it, 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 it's crazy. And, you know, you said something earlier that, that and I share the sentiment that you really don't want to jump to bad conclusions. Yeah. But you want to say, OK, it, 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 there's a mistake here. Some, you know, something wrong happened. But. But this is the same Department of Justice uh, that decided to treat concerned parents speaking up at school board meetings as domestic terrorists. Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so, so what's going on there, right? I, like, we can't just assume the best anymore. We, we, we do need answers about the Department of Justice, about the FBI. Because th- th- there's there's real problems, you know. Just as an, you know, Daily Mail c- came to me a couple months ago, and they said, "Dave, do you want to write about like how we really need a, at least reform at the FBI?" And my initial reaction was, "I like law enforcement. I I don't want to throw the people who are out there risking their lives trying to catch drug dealers and child traffickers and all of these things under the bus." But when they showed me the list and when I looked at the list of all of these things that the FBI has been doing, I, I said, look, this has to be addressed. What can I do? Right. You got to call them out. You've got to call them out. And as, and as you're doing, you know, highlighting the, um, the the top line story as well as the, the bottom line, because if if our people in our media aren't doing this, it's not getting done. And lamentably, the um, the legacy corporate media that's out there that's in the White you know I'm not in the in the White House uh, press corps I don't know if you are I know I'm not <laughs> they're not letting me in there to ask a question uh, I wish they would I'd love to ask some questions and I think we we need to have these questions that you're asking they have to be asked we have to get these answers and I, I get the sense we're not going to get the answers well look I, the, the feet have to be held to the fire I, I am not um, in in the White House press corps. Um, you know, clearly we know that 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 Peter Ducey or whoever has his chair at Fox does a pretty good job of of you know holding the administration's feet to the fire. So not the only one. Um, there's a guy. He's actually he's a buddy of mine. This guy, Phil Wegman from Real Clear Politics, who's in the room, who occasionally gets a question, who's also great. And he was the one who last week said to Corinne Jean Pierre, "You guys keep saying like." That, that, that Biden doesn't know what was in these documents and that his, his lawyers advised him not to know. And he said, why? And she said, well, we're doing this by the book. 
And he said, okay, right. but what part of the book? <laughs> it's a process. He, said, he literally said there, what, what, where in the book does it say that the president can't know what these documents are? She had no answer. None. Mm-hmm. You know, just this, just this again, oh, we're being prudent. You know, he's very concerned about, well, if he's very concerned about the classified documents, why doesn't he want to know what they are? Right. Here's, here's another thing. Biden, uh, in that same availability where he talked to Ducey, where, where Biden, you know, said, hey, my, my, my garage is locked. He opened that by saying, I can't talk about this, but, but you know, soon I will be able to, quote, God willing, unquote. What does God have to do with this? Just sit down and answer some questions. <laughs> you are the president, sir. Yeah, that's crazy. David Marcus, I want to let everybody know um, where they could uh, follow your work. So let them know. Oh, well, uh, I'm at Twitter, I'm Blue Box Dave. I run fairly regularly at foxnews.com, uh, Daily Mail, uh, uh, Spectator World, and Daily Wire. And you can catch me often on Morning Wire, which is Daily Wire's morning podcast. Wow, he's all over the place. Folks, check him out. David Marcus, at Blue Box Dave on Twitter. David Marcus, thank you, sir. I appreciate the insight. Thanks for having me, man. You bet. Have a good night, brother. All right, there is more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls. Those of you that are on hold, everybody else, it's open phone America. Don't go anywhere. We're doing that right now. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to invite you to give us a call, 833-482-5537. That's 833-4-VALDEZ, V-A-L-D-E-S. That's my last name, by the way. And that's Valdez with an S if you want to join in on the social media, at Rich Valdez. So there's a couple of headlines here. Listen to this. Um, the text, uh, There's a Texas, well, let me, I'll start with this. Texas National Guard soldier patrolling the border shoots a migrant after a struggle. So this guy is down there, you know, serving his nation, gets attacked by this guy, and uh, they were in this little struggle. And this is all because of why? Well, it's because Mayorkas, Secretary Mayorkas, claims that the border encounters have dropped significantly. And he thinks that um, things are secure at the border. Meanwhile, he's facing an investigation and possible impeachment. And here's another one. Egg prices continue to rise, as do seizures at the U.S. border. Apparently, people are smuggling eggs across the border from Mexico or Canada. And you can get fined $10,000 for doing this. And people, are the, the price in contraband, or I should say the... Um, the activity in the egg contraband business has gone up because prices have gone up so much. So because there's a 60% increase on eggs in, in the United States, at least as of December, compared with the previous December of 2021, 
this is the problem we have. And according to Jennifer De La O, the director of, and that's really the name, D-E space L-A space O, De La O, the director of Customs and Border Protection, she says that re- they've recently noticed uh, there's an increase in the number of eggs that are being intercepted at their ports of entry. So it's not only human trafficking and human smuggling, but there's egg smuggling and egg trafficking going on. Meanwhile, that's at the border. Meanwhile, in Delaware, you've got Joe Biden, who he traffics in classified documents and Corvettes. Let's go to Bill in Rehoboth, Delaware, WXDE. Bill, welcome back. Hi, Rich. How are you tonight? (laughs) How are you, sir? I'm doing well. A little tongue-tie there. That's all right. I uh, when when you know you were talking earlier about you know uh, Biden not knowing what's in the documents. In my opinion, that that's hogwash. Yeah, he knows exactly what's in them. I would the think otherwise he wouldn't have taken them. House. Right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. all the stacks of mail in my house are, I know exactly what's in there. It's a paper I need for this. It's a, a receipt for that. It's a statement from that. Right? You, you know, you have to file it somewhere or get rid of it. So, you know, you make a stack or two. Uh, and that's, again, a simple life. Uh, you're talking about you were president or vice president. You know exactly what it is. Oh, it was my, my trip to wherever when I met this world leader and that world leader and, and this document and that document. And, uh, you know, it, it's troubling to say the least, because, again, I want to think these things are on the up and up. But the reality is it could be more more nefarious. It could be, you know, I'm going to leave this over here. I'm not going to give it to you. I would never be a traitor to my country, but I'm going to leave it over here. And maybe Hunter leaves the garage door open when he's going around driving in my vet. I don't know. Maybe you can go. I, mean, I, I don't know. I feel like that's the same thing that happened with the Hillary Clinton server, where she had this unsecure server in her house. And um, and voila. There we go. You know, um, things can get stolen, hacked, et cetera, and et cetera. So I think, you know, sometimes people do things purposefully so that they can, you know, then say, oh, well, I didn't really know. And sadly, that I think that's the case, Bill. And I, I hope it's not, but I think that's what I'm leaning towards thinking. Joe's always been a shady character. I, Unbelievable. I have two examples. I have yeah, two well, examples. he's your neighbor, not mine. You're the one that's in Rehoboth. And, and you, can, you can look this one up. Well, his first election, he was running against the incumbent, Caleb Boggs. And every time Caleb Boggs put an article in the newspaper, the Teamsters went on strike. And the newspapers didn't go out that day. And you can look that up. That's that's documented. I believe that's it. Listen, local politics, that's just how it is uh, with local politics. People pull every trick in the book. One day when there's a little more time. I'll tell you a story about a, a state assembly race that I ran in in 2005 and the stuff that they threatened me with. Again, I was 26 years old running against a guy that I, everybody knew was going to win anyway. But I gave him a hard time and I did all right. I did a good showing, uh, showing in that election. And because of that, they, there was threats that went my way. So I can only imagine what's going on in, in Rehoboth with uh, good old Joe L. Baboso Biden. And another one was... He would go on on Fridays. He would go to a a, a, a little sub shop in Arden, Delaware. And Arden Town is, you know, they're they're eccentrics. They're all like artists and things like that. And, and they had like uh, the Renaissances, and and they always have an Arden Fair every year. And he would go to this little sub shop, and he would get two subs. And he never paid his bill. And after about two and a half years. The lady asked him for for to start paying it, 
She said, hey, you owe us two grand, sir. <laughs> and he never went back. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's why you don't take free stuff to begin with. Anyway, thank you, Bill. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for checking in from WXDE in Rehoboth, Delaware. Uh, let us continue with uh, Steve in Cleveland, Ohio, W-E-O-L. Steve, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Didn't know you ran against anybody, Rich. Kind of sounds like uh, you did pretty good, though. I did all right. I mean, I I, I really ticked a lot of people off, and uh, I kind of energized the base a little bit. But it was it was just an interesting thing to see. I was a, a young guy. I think I might have raised five grand the whole campaign, and and they used a lot of muscle on me. And I, I was just like, man, you guys are punks. <laughs> like, how are you going to go there? But what's on your mind, brother? So you had a little money left over for happy hour here and there, huh? <laughs> hey, I was we thinking, spent it all. I was thinking the, re, the, the reason probably why they're, they're important ends is these, all these idiot uh, liberals probably invested all their money in a bunch of poll, you know, in a bunch of Mexican roosters. And they're still waiting for the eggs to get hatched. Roosters ah. the eggs. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, that, that could be it. It could be it. It could be the, uh, the classic case of the Mexican rooster. Let me ask you this. What do you think um, is going to be the outcome of this Joe Biden fiasco? Where do you think we land on this? Do you think he gets a slap on the wrist and he walks away? He doesn't run for president uh, or, you know, he just says, ah, listen, everybody does it. They just forget about Trump's uh, debacle that they've created and they find something else to attack him with. What do you think? Well, my answer is, it's breaking news. The DOJ is going to indict Trump for uh, Biden's uh, classified documents found in the trunk of his Corvette. <laughs> I think you're spot on with that one, Steve. Thank you. That would be the 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 uh, epitome of of um, the fake news doing what they do best, being the enemy of the people, as El Trumpito would say. Steve, uh, thank you for checking in from W E O L in Ohio. I appreciate it. We're making our way straight across America. Open phones across America. I love hearing from everybody across the Fruited Plain, from every corner of our great land. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. What happens today when this debt limit deadline goes and the markets react how? The rest of the world reacts how? What, what's going to happen? Uh, the markets will react relatively benignly. The world will react relatively benignly because everybody knows this is, uh, uh, this is sort of the warm-up, if you will. Mm -hmm. And history will tell us that in every single case where you had a debt limit fight, it went down to the wire after these so-called extraordinary measures were put in place, after they bought time, in effect, by taking little pockets of money they had access to and things like other things they could do. So that's Jamie Dimon is the Chase uh, CEO. He's on CNBC today discussing uh, his thoughts on the debt ceiling, saying we should never question the full faith and credit of the United States government. Oh, I'm sorry. I read the wrong one. Forgive me. 
um, Steve Ratner, economic analyst. I know how to talk, I promise you. Economic analyst on Morning Joe today, uh, reaching the debt ceiling and how the markets are going to react benignly. Uh, we'll see how that happens. I mean, I, th- I think he's probably right, honestly, on this one. I think um, from both from Congressman Ken Buck, who joined us earlier today, uh, with the with the notion that we'll probably get somewhere. And just look back at history. We, the debt ceiling rarely ever leads into something. Sometimes a little bit of a, uh, of a of a stalemate and threat of the government shutdown. Even if you shut down the government, it's not a huge deal. The, the government continues to move forward even when it's shut down. It's almost like you, sh- you want to shut it down. It's kind of like a, a good break. It's like, man, look at how nice life is when the government's shut down. Let us go to Neil in Bradford, Tennessee, WCMT. Neil, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Thanks, Rich. How are you tonight? Wonderful, sir. What's on your mind? Good. I heard an intriguing proposal earlier tonight, Rich. The, the guy that put forward this idea, it was something I would never thought of in a trillion years. He said, instead, with all the hollering and screaming about raising the debt ceiling, he said, why don't we lower the debt ceiling? Uh-huh. And he said, the right. way you would do it under his proposal, he said that there would be no exemptions, no exceptions. Everybody would feel the pain. He said there might be a uh, – he said one way he would do it is eliminate all funding for aid to the war in the Ukraine. And he said domestically, maybe you institute a 10 percent cut across the board, starting with maybe the senators and representatives and their staff salaries, and then go right across the board – with no exceptions for the agriculture department to national spending. He said in a few years you'd have a balanced budget. And the guy said we had a balanced budget once before under Bill Clinton when they had a Republican Congress enforcing to moderate his his ways. And he said that Newt Gingrich was House Speaker and Bob Dole was the Senate Majority Leader and working together they and Clinton balanced the budget. And I thought that was an intriguing proposal. And I'll be honest with you, Rich, I don't mean to sound like Ross Perot harping and banging on the federal debt, but I do. It, it, it does concern me when I read all these numbers I can't even wrap my mind around. And one other proposal this guy put out was he said eliminate all frivolous spending like they put in the recently passed omnibus bill. And, Rich, what do you think about the proposed balanced budget amendment? Well, you know what? I'll tell you this, Neil. I would love to see a balanced budget amendment enacted. I would love to see a balanced budget, period. I think uh, we haven't had a balanced budget. You're right. On thirty years, thirty plus years, that idea it, it gives me stress that that this is how we operate. That we operate in a way where we just constantly say, "Oh, we'll just increase the debt ceiling and our, our debt limit will increase." And there, there's never any type of accountability. And listen, I'm the first guy that says, "But I get how it works. I understand how our economic system works to some degree." Where we're not really dealing with um, the value of of a gold backed dollar like we once were. You know, we we, we sell these these securitized debt, and um, this is how we we fund what we do. And, and it, it, it's uh, it's an interesting concept. But I look at it like a house of cards, and I think eventually it can come crumbling down. And it's it's kind of like a balancing act to, to keep it up. This is how I view it. I don't know that every economist would agree with me on that, but I think it would be great to have a balanced budget. In retrospect, um, or I should say maybe to to give you a different angle, somebody I was talking to the other day said, hey, you know, you ever read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki? Well, he's got this new um, series out where he's explaining how the, the key to building wealth is several fold. 
And one of them is having, you know, multiple income streams. But the other one is never using your money and always allowing someone else to foot the bill in credit. And I said, well, I don't understand. And he said, well, he said, most of us are kind of, it's ingrained in our brains that we want to work hard to pay something, whether it's uh, our mortgage, you know, and it takes 30 years to pay off or, or a car note or wh- whatever it is. You're constantly trying to eliminate debt as if like you want to get to this point post-retirement where you have no debt. And I said, well, yeah, that's how it works, right? You want to be free and clear and enjoy your, you know, the last, your last hurrah, your last 10 years, whatever and what have you. And his response to me was, that's not how any of the billionaires do it. He said, all of them leverage credit, all of them. And their goal is to get as much credit as they can and then die. Because the credit doesn't, the, the debt doesn't get passed on to their children. Their children actually inherit the actual hard assets that they have. And that's how they enjoy their lives. And uh, I thought, wow, this is really interesting. This is all from Kiyosaki. I'm going to have to check it out. I don't know if it is or isn't. This is what somebody told me in a conversation I had on the street. But the the idea of living in this debt bubble is a common one to a lot of people that use the OPM, other people's money principle. So I think as long as that's a thing and it does work and people continue to build wealth making money off of borrowed money, we're going to continue to see our government do the same thing because they don't produce anything. They have no hard assets. All the government can do is say, I'm going to tax Neil from Bradford. And when he gets to a certain age, I may tax him a little less. And then I'm going to go tax Rich Valdez. (laughs) And then we're going to tax his kids. And we're going to tax everybody we can. And when we need more, we're going to come after more. And we're going to do that over and over and over. And when we don't have, we're going to print the money. And you create this system that is unsustainable, in my opinion, but has to be carefully managed. And we're seeing right now when you don't carefully manage this machine, look what happens with inflation, right? We have this uh, nearly um, about to be a case of runaway inflation, and now they're curtailing it with um, interest rate hikes. And we're seeing that, the effects of that. Interest rates going down, interest rates are going up, and inflation is going down slightly. So it's it's stubborn, and I think we're going to be in this for a little bit. And all of that comes back to your question, which is, do we uh, have a balanced budget? I'd love one. I'd love to see the government operate within a budget. But it seems like everybody on every every side of the aisle, minus you know a handful of people, they've all kind of checked out on that idea, Neil. Well, the way they do, the politicians, it reminds me, if you remember the old Peanuts cartoon, the politicians, it reminds me of Lucy snatching away the football. She told Charlie Brown, I'll hold the football, you come up and kick it. And poor little Charlie Brown believes her, and they, she snatches away the football. And they tell us, oh, just give us so much time, we'll balance the budget, and we believe it. And then they kick the can down the road like Lucy snatched yeah. the football. That's it. That's 100% exactly what happens. They create a situation where they can just prolong it, prolong it, keep prolonging it till they're like McConnell. They serve their 40-something years, and then they're like, hey, I'm out of here. Take care. Bye-bye. And it's a sad day for America. Well, Neil, I thank you for your call. I do appreciate it. Uh, from WCMT in Tennessee. Neil, what is the weather like in um, in Tennessee right now? It's nice. It's cold, uh, but uh, we had some rain last night, but... I think it's is cold to, like sixty five or cold like twenty five? About like about forties, something like oh, that. Yeah. I'll take forties. Uh, it's a little little chillier than that where I am right now. But uh, 
Yeah, hey, like I'll take it. That sounds like good weather. I appreciate it, brother. There is more to come straight ahead with the rest of your calls. Open phone America. Our phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5537. Or, of course, you can always get us on our legacy line, 866-505-4626. The phone lines are open, and I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Don't go anywhere because we're going to continue with America at Night, and it is open phones across America. I am Rich Valdez, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. negotiation with the administration over what are the circumstances or conditions under which the debt's going to be raised. Well, I would not be concerned about a financial crisis. Well, that's uh, Mitch McConnell, and he's not uh, concerned with a financial crisis. As a matter of fact, Mitch McConnell's never been concerned about anything except going after his fellow Republicans when he felt the time was right to go after those Republicans. And uh, that's what you do when you're a Mitch, Mitch McConnell. And it's a damn shame that this is the guy that's uh, in power there. It, it makes me just, uh, I don't know. I'm running out of adjectives here for Mitch McConnell that are FCC friendly. No me gusta, people. I don't like this guy. He's no good. He's no good. He's no good. Now, um, I want to continue our conversation on the debt ceiling, but I want to add in a little bit of, uh, of a little bit more to the mix <clears throat> because there's a few things I want to talk about. And I already talked about the egg prices and their smuggling at the border. And uh, we talked a little bit about what's happening with the, um, with him, with, um, with the, excuse me, I'm drawing a blank, Alejandro Mayorkas, the uh, embattled Homeland Security Secretary who's had the articles of impeachment filed against him. And, you know, you, you look at it, America's getting it from the financial side of things, you know, from one front, getting it from the the human trafficking, human smuggling front, and it seems all over the place there is talk, right? But not enough action. And the Republicans seem to be, you know, swinging uh, and trying to take action. But without without the continued um, support of of continuing to get more more leverage, Biden's going to have veto power on a lot of things. So we, they need to use their power of the purse and their legislative oversight to get as much done as possible. Because otherwise, Mayorkas, who knows? He's got the slap on the wrist. Maybe he resigns, maybe not. I don't know. Where's this story? I wanted to share this with you too also. T-Mobile. T-Mobile says that the data on 37 million customers has been stolen. So if you're a T-Mobile customer, listen to this. This is uh, according to the Associated Press out of Boston. The U.S. wireless carrier T-Mobile said Thursday that an unidentified malicious intruder breached its network in late November and stole data on 37 million customers, including addresses, phone numbers, and dates of birth. T-Mobile said in a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission that the breach was discovered on January 5th. It said the data exposed 
uh, in the theft were to date did not include passwords or pins or bank account or credit card information, nor did it include social security numbers or other government IDs. And a quote from it is uh, from, let's see, it doesn't say, it's just from the statement. Our investigation is still ongoing, but the malicious activity appears to be fully contained at this time, T-Mobile said, with no evidence of of who the intruder is and how they were able to breach the company's network. No bueno. T-Mobile said it's notified law enforcement. Yeah, good job, T-Mobile. Great job. Great job keeping everybody's stuff safe. Now you've got people. Every time I read about one of these hacks, at some time, some way, somehow, I start getting a lot more text messages and spam emails. And, and you know, that's that's the the benign side of it. Who knows what else is really happening and what other information they're getting from, you know, running whatever programs they run to extract information and whatnot. I'm not even a T-Mobile customer, but I'm sure there's people I interact with that are, and uh, you can be affected by these things. So it's just, uh, it's not good. It makes me think, what's the, are they really getting hacked or are they just dropping the ball? I think, you know, there's too much at stake nowadays and people paying automatic payments. Uh, thankfully, this says no credit card information, but it's like, once you've been hacked, how much do I really want to believe what you have to say, Right. I don't know that I really want to believe everything T-Mobile has to say. Anyway, we uh, we we I want to go back to this this other uh, story that I had here. Bear with me as I get to it. Here it is. It was about Mayorkas. That's what we were talking about. Now, Alejandro Mayorkas. There's a clip of audio of his that I wanted to play for you. Uh, let's see. Go ahead. In addition to combating these threats, the department is also working, of course, to secure our borders. The challenge of migration is not unique to the United States, nor to the border communities that confront it every day. Around the world, there are more displaced people than at any time since World War II. Mass migration has gripped our hemisphere. Mass migration. Again, uh, when, when people start arguing with this line of argument, which is basically, uh, well, you know, it's not only happening here, right? I, I tend to take, take things personally, I guess. You know, if, if something happens to me, I could care less if it's happening all over the world. I care that it's happening to me, and I don't want it to happen to me. So, you know, I care that the United States seems to be overrun taking on more immigrants than any other country on this planet. And somehow he thinks it's okay to say, well, the problem is this is happening everywhere. What do I care? Biden did the same thing with inflation. It's a a global problem. So, you know, obviously when I'm out and about, you know, I don't even look for trouble. It just finds me. And people come up to me and they'll say things like, oh, you know, what do you think about whatever? Because they want to have a little debate with me. And I tell them, listen, um, you know, I'm not on the clock right now. I'm here to get coffee. But sometimes I take debate and I and I engage in this conversation with them. And it's uh, it's so interesting because then they parrot these types of comments and they're like, yeah, but, you know, this is a global problem. And, you know, I'm inclined to say, no, your face is a global global problem, sir. The, the, the problem here is I don't I understand everything can become a global problem when you're talking about the United States. We affect so many countries. Right. So it's not necessarily that uh, this is some sort of like uh endemic problem or a pandemic problem that is spreading like wildfire to every country on the, in the planet. No, it's not like that. 
the problem that we have here at the border is something that we caused. Joe Biden caused it with his policies, his recklessness. This is totally intentional. And it can be resolved if we put our foot down, if we hold Biden accountable, if we hold this guy accountable, if we get him out of office, put the right pressure in the right places. But to suggest that this is happening all over the hemisphere, and that's why it's happening. No. And also the argument that we, we destroyed Latin America during the, during the 80s, so because of that, now they're all coming here. More BS. Not buying it. It doesn't take 40 years, right? And say, well, they would have been more successful had we not gotten there. And listen, we also did the same thing in Afghanistan, right? And I'm not saying we did that in, in, in Central South America. But I am saying even in countries where we've had military conflict, we can't go and say, okay, well, if you want to leave this country, you get to leave whenever you want, and you can come to the United States anytime you want. You can live here forever, as many of you that, as you would like. No, there's, a, there's always a cap. You know, this many people from Afghanistan, this many people from there. This is how it works. And somehow we've just, uh, we've got a thing where we're like, no, just keep them coming. Keep them coming until, you know, until, until the cows come home. That's not going to work. And this guy, Mallorca, is saying that he's got an exciting, comprehensive strategy to secure our borders and build a safe and orderly, humane immigration system. I mean, he's just out of his mind and he's full of it. That's my opinion. Rich Valdez coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America at Night with Rich Valdez. The conventional wisdom was that Baldwin would not be charged, and if he were, that he could be acquitted. How do you explain the decision by prosecutors to level these charges against him? I think it's a bit of a stumble by the state to charge Alec Baldwin, and here's why. Uh, of course, the only option was really ever involuntary manslaughter, because I think all sides agree that Baldwin didn't intentionally shoot anyone. But when you look at New Mexico's involuntary manslaughter statute, there are really only two situations that could apply to this case. One, of course, is traditional involuntary manslaughter, which is recklessness. The doing of a lawful act, operating a firearm on a uh, movie set, uh, but doing it with criminal negligence which is a bit of a misnomer because it really means recklessness. That's the conscious disregard of a known risk. But the other option, and probably the easier for a conviction for the state, is another subsection that says if you use a firearm and you use it with just ordinary negligence, then you can be guilty. So that's Danny Savalas, a legal analyst uh, for NBC News. And... um, I don't know where I end up on this, honestly. I really don't know. Uh, it's a very unfortunate situation, and uh, we've got some opinions on this. Let's go to Matt in Englehart, North Carolina, WTKF. Welcome, Matt. Hello, Rich. How are you today? Tonight. Wonderful, thanks. What's on your mind? Very good. My my On my mind is, okay, I'm not a lawyer, but I studied law. And just pointing a gun at someone at least in North Carolina, probably nationwide, so is called Assault by Pointing a Gun. Now, it was a movie set. He said he didn't know there was live bullets in it, right? Well, he Mm -hmm. could have shot a couple degrees right or left just to be sure, and the the movie would have went on just as well, and nobody would have died, right or wrong. 
I guess that's a possibility. I mean, again, I, I've never done a movie with a gun, with an armorer. I, I always thought they used fake guns in movies. You know, I mean, I, I just, I had no idea this could even happen in my lifetime. I don't think I've even seen this happen before. This to me is such a, a, a crazy thing where where people, you know, um, somebody dropped the ball somewhere. Uh, I, I have to imagine that, you know, the actor isn't, you know, they're constantly in these action movies shooting each other. I can't imagine that the actor would think to do what you're saying. It's probably good practice. Shoot a little bit this way, a little bit that way. It looks good on camera, but you're not, you know, endangering anybody. But I have to think he wasn't planning on really shooting anybody because who shoots people in the movies? It's Hollywood. The whole thing is fake. It's phony. It's fraud. It's Hollywood. So I, I just, I don't know. And I put myself in his shoes and I think, man, this is a tough situation. I just don't know, Matt. All right, sir. Uh, but, well, you know, there's one right next to me. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't shoot anybody. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, I, I think your suggestion is a good one. I just think this is just one of the most unfortunate things I've seen happen in Hollywood uh, where it's just a, it's a bad situation. But I appreciate the call. Um, more to come from your calls. The phone number here is... I, I know the number. It's 833-4-Valdez, but I want to give you the the numerical, and that's 833-482-5537. I will get used to that. Let me see. Let us continue here. I want to go to Frank in Evergreen, Montana. I asked you to call back because we, we had run out of time yesterday. Frank on KOFI, the uh, Kalispell station, Frank, so tell me, what's going on? We were talking about big tech earlier, and you had a comment about Twitter. What's up with Twitter? Yeah, I'm uh, wondering if, uh, if everybody's, because of the social critics and everything, uh, uh, is, is it going to be a, and Elon Musk going out of business? Is it is it going to be like everyone's kind of to bail out and get out of there? Otherwise, they're going to be considered outlaws, and uh, if I'm still stuck in in kind of a Twitter account all, all alone out there, am I going to be an outlaw? Uh, I mean, uh, you might be an outcast, right? Oftentimes, a lot of us are outcast in Twitter when Twitter gets a little uh, antsy. Uh, I haven't seen it get so bad since Elon Musk has taken over, but we know from the, the Twitter files dumps that happen every now and again, how how they really went after certain people. I hope they're not going after you, Frank, but uh, I see what you're saying, you know, with, with them going out of business. I think it's just downsizing, honestly. I think it's getting rid of uh, a lot of um, dead weight that they, you know, they couldn't deal with. And, and the rest of it is going to be trimming because even if it's not dead weight, if they don't have the money for it, they don't have the money for it. And um, we're going to see how it goes. I don't think they totally go under, but again, it could be a, a thing. I mean, that was what my initial thought on it was, wow, Musk is going to buy this thing and he's going to take it apart and, you know, do like a controlled demolition type of thing just because he felt like it was so out of hand. So I think that's kind of the the dance he has to dance here. He's got to toe the line of saying, do I destroy this thing and just get rid of it because it's become Frankenstein's monster and it's taken over? Or do I can actually can I rein it in a little bit? So we will um, we will find out what happens with that. And we're going to continue taking your calls. Thank you, Frank. I appreciate it. Always good to hear from folks in Kalispell, Montana area in Evergreen on KOFI. I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, and we are coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
voted best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I think I've been told that I might have given you the wrong phone number. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ with an S. Let us go to Mike in Grass Valley, California, KNCO. Mike, what's on your mind, brother? Welcome. First time caller discovered your show about two months ago. I can't turn it off. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm glad you're tuned in. And uh, you're out in the Modesto area, right? No, Grass Valley area. Grass Valley. Um, We're about an hour and a half northeast of Sacramento. Super. Nice area. Hour hour northeast of Sacramento. So on the Baldwin shooting, so I've been on a number of movies. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the very first movie I was ever in was Melvin Purvis, G-Man. And that was probably the most rounds fired I've ever seen in a movie or one of them. And, uh, every single fire. Are you a stunt guy, an actor, an armor? Say that again. Are you a stunt man or an actor or an armor? No, I was, I was maybe nine years old at that time. Oh, wow. Cool. Um, that was a early seventies set, but. The, all the rounds are blanks. They have a crimped forehand, but every firearm, they had cuts 21 Thompson machine guns, 1911s, they had 38 revolvers, you know, all the old G-Man yeah. stuff. And every single firearm was a live working firearm, but the armorer absolutely made sure that there was no live um, rounds on the set. Yet all the actors would go out to the range area, which was along the river bottoms, and practice. So they looked proficient and they all were required to take a firearms course before the making of the movie. And I believe today they still make them take a firearms course. So they know basic gun safety and they know to check a firearm anytime they touch it or pick it up before they're manipulating the firearm. Right. And and that's, that's regular gun safety too. And get for this infraction is five years, I believe. I tell you, this is just such an uh, an interesting place that we're in. But yeah, I get it. Negligence is negligence. If that's the case, um, then you say you hear these lawyers saying it's a prosecutorial overreach, and uh, I just don't know where I land on this. And I'm I'm not a huge fan uh, of Alec Baldwin by any means. I just think this is just such a bad situation. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of him either. But I have a very black and white sense of right and wrong, regardless yeah. of the individual. For instance, right now, I still work in law enforcement. I'm a certified court ex- uh, expert for firearms and ballistics and so on and so forth. I'm a post-firearms instructor for the state of California and oh, post cool. peace officer training. I'm very experienced in this, but I i don't know. I mean, myself by habit, even my children by habit, my youngest now is 17. Anytime they touch a firearm, they check it, clear it and set and make sure it's safe or ready to shoot. And it's just the way we're taught. Right. And we had, we had hunter safety courses in grade school, you know, wow. I mean, so, you know, I'm older. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say in California, that's interesting. Wow. Well, Mike, thank you. School, oh, go ahead. We pulled up for the school lot with shotguns in the back of our cars. Cause we'd all been duck hunting with the English teacher. Wow. You know, I I've heard stories like this before. Uh, people tell me, yeah, when I was a senior in high school, we kept a shotgun in the back of our truck and, you know, that's what we did. And we had, um, 
you had marksman teams for the schools, and it, it just makes you think, wow, imagine that. What a foreign concept today that would be. Mike in Grass Valley, California, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Call again. I appreciated uh, your, your commentary. It was really good. Mike in Grass Valley on KNCO. Now, um, everybody else that's holding, I don't think we're going to have uh, time to get through to you tonight. But I do want to um, wish you the best and give you a shout out. We got Peyton in Pittsburgh who had a comment about this shooting. We had Steve in Colchester, Vermont. Give us a call tomorrow from WVMT in Burlington. And uh, let's see, we got Dale in Oregon who wanted to talk about Biden. We'll be on that tomorrow for sure. I appreciate your call. And uh, hasta la próxima. Take care. Good night. And God bless. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.